All right, the book of Jude. If you were not here the first hour, you missed some important things, but I will try to review them quickly. All right, book of Jude. We are in the section dealing with what we're calling the descriptions of the false teachers. And we spent most of the morning, we did a little bit of review, we spent most of the morning on verse 8 and we took it all apart. So I'm going to try to summarize verse 8 to the best of my ability, even though I'm going to try to summarize an hour into like a couple of minutes here. So here we go. Jude describes these teachers as this. First, he refers to them as filthy dreamers. Secondly, those who defile the flesh. Third, those who despise dominion. And next, those speak evil of dignities. Now, we didn't get to the last one, and I know it's probably what we should do next, but we will not, and we will we'll, we'll put it all together here in a minute. All right, so here we go. Filthy dreamers. For those who are here, how do we understand the term filthy dreamers? Filthy dreamers are those who are fleshly in their dreams instead of spiritual. In other words, what is dominating their dream, their, their, their concepts, their desires, their hopes, is their flesh, not the spirit. And this is very, very important, very important, that they believe these dreams come to them from God. So their ideas, their desires, they believe come from God, and it is fleshly, it is not spiritual. And this is very important because they're not walking in just saying, hey, let's sin. They're walking in claiming that they are speaking, in a sense, for God and uh, an agreement with God, right? Even though that all, it's all based off what they want and what they desire, all right? Fleshly dreamers. These fleshly dreamers then do what next? Defile the flesh. That means to indulge the flesh, but they're indulging the flesh, believing that what they're doing is spiritual. All right? And I tried to make this very clear to make sure you understand this, okay? They're indulging the flesh, but they believe that what they're doing is godly. So I tried to explain it in a way that we could all relate to, even though it makes some Christians mad. This is just the reality. As Christians, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll take the concept of God and justify your behavior that is really nothing more than fleshly, I'm not saying sinful, and then claim that you're doing something spiritual or godly. And I can give you a thousand examples, but you know the ones I'm going to go to, right? Christians love, they can get together for a picnic, right? Where everybody's just running around playing games and shoving food down their throats, but they will claim that it is what? Fellowship, making it a spiritual activity. Is there anything sinful in the activity? No, but we make it spiritual. That's the same thing. I'm not, it's very similar in its, in its concept. We're taking God and we're taking our actions and we're making our actions seem spiritual when in really there's nothing more than us doing what? A group of lost people getting together in the park. The group of lost people hanging out in the park, what are they not claiming? They're doing it for God. We claim that we are. It's, it's using God. Now, they take it, obviously these teachers are taking it to a greater extreme, but it's the same principle and action. So they're filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, next, despise dominion. And what does it mean to despise dominion? To reject dominion. Why does the filthy dream, in a sense, lead to the d- rejection of dominion? And we talked about this. If you've been in Christianity for five seconds, Christianity is made up of a lot of what? Rules, right? Like a big book like this. Do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, if you get a, quote unquote, believe it's from God, 
that you can do these things, yet everything in Christianity says you can't do these things, you're going to use your concept of God to reject that authority which says you can't. And that creates the conflict, all right? The next phrase, we'll just briefly mention it uh, because we didn't get to it. The next one is what? Speak evil of dignities. Speak evil of dignities. All right, let's just try to figure out the word dignities. What, what, what do you think this word dignities is referring to? You can look it up and we'll look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app really quick. Most translations don't use the word dignities, which is interesting. But let's see what the Greek word is for dignities. All right, here we go. I'll go back to the interlinear. Speak evil of dignities. It is this Greek word. Strong's G, 1391, doxa. 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 It's used 168 times. It's translated glory 145 times. Glorious 10 times. Honor six times. Praise four times. Dignity only twice. And it's even used for worship one time. All right? What is Strong's definition? Glory. Right, that's not helpful, right? And a wide application, literal, figurative, ob- objective, subjective, dignity, glorious, honor, praise, worship. Does that help us at all? How, the outline of biblical usage is long if you're looking at the Blue Letter Bible app. Do you see anything that helps us here? I mean, splendor, brightness, moon, sun, stars, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, grace, a thing belonging to God, a thing belonging to Christ, a most glorious condition, most exalted state. That's not helpful, is it? Do you know how most translations uh, translate this verse? Does anybody know? All right, well then let's look at all of them. I thought possibly y'all would know, but let's look here. And if you have different translations, you can look for yourself. But here's how most of them look at it. You ready? They heap abuse on celestial beings. They scoff at supernatural beings. They blaspheme the glorious ones. They slander glorious beings. They blaspheme glorious ones. They speak evil of dignities, the King James. They are abusive of angelic majesties. They mock angelic majesties. Wow, that, this, one, this one is hard to wrap our minds around. Okay, so let's go with two concepts here. Let's go with two concepts here. Speak evil. What, is that, what, what do you think that refers to? Talk bad about. Okay? Just say horrible negative things. If I was to speak evil about one of you, I'd be saying all kinds of bad things about you, correct? Okay, so we got that. They're going around saying bad things. Isn't it odd or weird that that most of the commentaries say they're going around speaking evil of angelic beings? That seems odd to me. Does that not seem odd? Like, what does that look like? Like they're just, they're just, I guess when they, they come into church and they go back to get the coffee and the donuts, they're sitting there going, man, I, these angels are garbage. I can't stand angels. Angels are useless. Angel. Doesn't that seem weird? I'm having a hard time with that. Anybody else having a hard time with that? Yeah, yeah what did you say? 
Okay, good. I like when someone says, the, the, yeah, we need to just be on. Look, it's okay to say that. It's okay to say, hey, this doesn't make any sense. It's okay. What do you think the commentaries do here? What do you think? What do you think? Anybody got want to take a, a guess? No? Yes? Well, like the murmurers in the wilderness by dignities or glories are meant unseen powers worthy of reverence. The Greek word is rare in the New Testament. When I say it's rare, how many times did we say it was used? 168 times. I don't know why they're saying the Greek word is rare. Yeah, 145 times it's translated glory. So I, that, one, that one's a little confusing to me. All right. Hey, it's rare, but it's used 168 times. Okay, all right. Uh, it says here, uh, uh, the Greek word is rare in the New Testament. Only here, 2 Peter 2.10 and 1 Peter 1. They say it's only used three times. That's, I don't know. Uh, no, oh, that's a good question. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, no, it's all New Testament. Yeah, because it's Greek. Yeah, that would be Hebrew if we were looking at it. Okay, but it was still a good question. Yeah, I, I'm a little perplexed. Did you have something, Mary? Uh-huh. Ah, that's... I, I was trying to... Apostolic. Ah, oh, okay, okay, okay. That's interesting. Here's, here's this commentary. Earthly di- dignities, whether ecclesiastical, what would be ecclesiastical? Church, right? Civil, what would that be? Government, are not included. So they remove them completely. I, this one I am completely baffled by. I am, yeah, they, they, they ever, go to 2 Peter 2.10 real quick. Go to 2 Peter 2.10. Do you see something there that may help us? I'm going to have you tell me. Because everything, almost everything says, see 2 Peter 2.10. <laughs> like, like the answer is found in 2 Peter 2.10. Is the answer in 2 Peter 2? They don't tell me what it says, but they are like, here's the answer. Okay, 2 Peter 2.10 says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lusts of uncleanliness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Does that help you any? We're still left with the same thing. Who are the dignities? Agreed? Right. Yeah, it does say this despised government. So maybe they're separate. They're making an argument that they're separated. Okay, that's a good point. That's, I, I will take that for what it's worth. Um, this is how uh, John Gill, he says, speak evil of dignities, glories. Um, the uh, uh, Arabic version reads, The God of glory, this is to be understood either of angels, those glorious creatures called thrones, dominions, or ecclesiastical governors who are set in the first and highest place in the church. Now, John Gill says it could refer to those in the church. Oh, in Second Peter? Yes, good point. It does talk about angels in the next verse. 
Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Well, it's um, possibly. Okay, I see kind of where you're possibly going there. All right. Um, Yeah, Jude talks about don't make a railing accusation. Go back in Jude. The very next verse, I think verse 9, he talks about Michael the archangel who would not make railing accusation against the devil, but instead said, the Lord rebuked thee. Right? Remember we saw that? Now, that's, that, that makes some sense in that context where you have an archangel dealing with Satan. How can we make railing accusations against angelic beings? It's not, it's, it's weird to me. Now, I, I got to be very careful here. Just, this is a very important hermeneutical principle. When you have an idea and then you look at like 50 commentaries and all of them say you're wrong, that's a pretty good indicator that what? That you're wrong. But I'm having a hard time with the angel thing. I'm glad John Gill, at least I can look to John Gill, and he's like, no, this could refer to earthly dignities. That makes more sense to me. The apostles, the, the church, the, uh, the angelic ones. So let's think this through. Let's think this through, all right? Um, if, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mary. Just majesty. Yeah, I mean, that's so... Look, when we, we went through the Greek word, right? And there was nothing in the Greek word that demanded it be re- referred to as an angel, right? You know what would be interesting? Because not one of the commentaries mentioned this. Can we find one time in the New Testament where an angel, a, this Greek word is translated angel? And you know what the answer is? No, it's not translated angel one time. You think if this is referring to angels, it would be used to be translated angel at least what? Once. So how come in all the other times when angels are mentioned, it doesn't use this Greek word? Would that be a good question? Right? I'm not saying that proves anything. So let's just think this through, all right? This is not the direction I wanted to go, but that's okay. It's worth it. All right, so here we go. We got, two op- we, we got two options. Maybe these options should not be you know, like against each other, but we're going to at least break them down. Option number one is that these men, let's go through this. Go back to Jude uh, 1.8. Everybody follow me? All right, everybody got it? They're filthy dreamers. In other words, they have a fleshly concepts and ideas and desires and hopes that they believe came from God. This leads them to do what? Defile the flesh, indulge the flesh because they believe that what they're doing somehow is approved by God, all right? Next, they despise dominion, right? They reject authority. And then the next thing, they speak evil of dignities. Now, here, to me, do you see a connection between the despised dominion? Yes? And we think that that dominion, that dominion referenced what when we looked it up? Does everybody remember? Authority, basically. Governmental. In other words, it could be referring to earthly power. Well, if it's referring to earthly power, wouldn't the next phrase seem to go back to that one? If I'm despising earthly authority, what do I have a tendency to do when I despise something? Right? Again, we used in the last hour, we used food. Right? I said, give me the food that you just can't stand. You just, oh, it's disgusting, right? As soon as someone puts the plate of it in front of you, you may reject it, but what do you have a tendency to do for the next five minutes? 
How dare you give it? That's disgusting. That's the worst thing. You just talk about it and talk, right? You, you speak evil against it, yes? Like, how, why would you give me, why did you order me this? Like, why did you make this? This is the worst food I've ever, that is horrible. Exactly. Right. So speak, the speaking evil would seem to go back to the despising of dominion. Does everybody see how I'm trying to connect that? It's weird because they're saying despise dominion. Well, well, I mean, how do I despise angelic dominion? Does the angels tell me what to do? That's, that doesn't seem to work, right? So the despising the dominion seems to help me clarify the speaking evil of dignities. But that's my, that's my thinking. But if we say that, let's go with the concept that ever all the commentaries go with, for except maybe John Gill. If speaking evil is referring to angels, what does that look like in a practical way? I mean, I know it sounds like I'm giving you a ridiculous illustration, but I mean, literally, these people are in the church. Remember, they're in the church, right? And we can see how all the other things could incorporate into Christianity, right? Where someone is like, hey, you can do this, and God God is justifying it. It would be hard to contend with, right? Everybody got that? Now, all of a sudden, though, here they are, and, and like, hey, let's talk bad about some angels. That seems so... Do what? Well, clearly. But I'm just saying, it seems an odd thing to do. Just They're sitting around talking bad about angels. Angels are garbage. Angels are useless. Angels are worthless. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that seems... Does that not seem odd to you? Like, how do we understand that? I don't even know what I do with that. Hey, guys, stop. don't talk bad about angels. Who, who, who walks around talking bad about angels? It just seemed like an odd thing to do. Okay, so if it's that, I don't really know what to do. But if it's speaking evil of dignities, and those dignities refer to earthly authority, now it makes sense to me. All right, so let's go, let's, let's go with the second one, right? I'm not saying the first one is completely wrong. I just don't know what to do with it. It makes no sense to me, right? But let's go with the second. Or there's maybe something we could do with it, but let's go with the second one. All right. So everyone get this right. I want to make, without looking, the first description that we've looked at today is they are what? Don't look. Jude 1.8. You should have it memorized by now. Filthy dreamers. Good. Thank you, Mary. All right. Filthy dreamers. All right. Everybody got that? Everybody say it with me. They are... Filthy dreamers. And what does that mean? Fleshly dreamers, right? They, their, their desires or hopes are fleshly. It's not spiritual, and they believe it's from God. You've got to get the believe it's from God concept down, all right? This leads them to defile the flesh, but they're defiling the flesh, not in a rebellious just do whatever they want. They're defiling the flesh, claiming that it is God. God's on my side. I can do this. Which then leads to? Very good. Despised dominion. Meaning? In church, they know that there are what? All of these rules. But they're going to look at those rules going, those rules, that's legalism. You can't tell me what to do because it came from God. Right? God's on our side. Right? Now, now those rules come from someone. Right? Now, you may want to claim they come from God, but they're not going to believe they come from God because they believe God is on their side. So they're believing you're a legalist. You're a Pharisee. Right? So... Guess what makes the most sense to me? What does that lead to? Now, the teenagers may not admit this, 
But I bet if we look maybe on text messages or we look somewhere, when parents say, you can't do that, they may have to walk away saying, okay. But I have a feeling that some words are said somewhere when the parent is not around. No. No. I'm, trying to, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to point the teenagers out. Okay. And sometimes it's great, like, they slam the door, boom, right? And if you just stand there for a few minutes listening, you're like, whoa, I didn't know they thought that about me. Right? And sometimes the best thing to do is just let them work it out, right? You know, instead of saying, you can't talk to me that way, just let them talk. Okay, but you get the idea, right? Well, come on. Or if you're mad at your boss, oh, come on, some, uh, now all the adults are going to like, never. The boss ticks you off, and then you're at your lunch hour, and what do you tend to do for your lunch? Talk about the boss. <laughs> or when you walk into the house, how was your day? Oh, let me tell you about the jerk I work for. Oh, never? Okay? Or husband and wife get in an argument, and then the wife's talking, you're not going to believe what he said to me. Hey? Okay, you're not going to believe it. He's a jerk. I married a jerk. Right? I married a jerk. Right? And then they're always like, I know, he's a jerk. Which they should say, he's the jerk you chose, so it's kind of on you. Right? Okay, but that's a whole different thing, right? Okay? We all understand that, Yes? I can work with that. Them hanging around in a Sunday school class talking bad about angels just doesn't work. I don't get that. Maybe they were. I just, it's the, it would be the only time in the Bible where you're like, don't speak bad about angels, right? It just seems like an odd place to be, right? Now, I do understand we're not to make a railing accusation against Satan, but it's like, what would they be? A, they're already doing something fleshly, so I don't... I don't know. I don't know. I'm having a hard time with it. But I do know this. It would fit perfectly with every... every oh, this would be like the, the, the downward path, right? It starts off with a fleshly dreamer. Okay, man, I desire this and I want this and it's what I want. But I believe God is giving me this. Okay, now I'm going to indulge the flesh. Wait, you're going to tell me I can't do it? How dare you tell me I can't? God is on my side... Well, then immediately, what do you do? Speak evil of them. And especially if they're trying to corrupt the church. Right? If Bobby, if, I, if I'm like, hey, Bobby, you, that, that's not a sin. It's not wrong. You can do that. The goodlets, they're legalists. They came from fundamentalist background. They're telling you that it's wrong. They're telling you it's ungodly. Don't listen to them. Now I'm beginning to speak evil of the people giving him the rules. Now let's say that they're like leaders in the church. They're leaders, but they're legalists. They, they don't know what the Bible says. I, I, my, what I've got came from God. Now, you know that happens in church all the time. As soon as someone doesn't like what the preacher says, they're somewhere talking about me. Right? I mean, come on. I know it. Sometimes it happens on the way home from, from church, on the way, you know, before, from here to Abilene, who knows, or from here to Coleman, wherever you're going, something, and it's okay, it's the way it works, and I'm not saying it should be that way, but it's the way it happens, yes, because when we hear what we don't want to hear, not only do we despise it, we speak evil about it. All right, now, does that, does that cover everything in verse 8? 
Right? I, you're saying, so is it angels or is it not? I don't know. If it's angels, I don't know what to... I can't help you if it's angels. Hey, guys, don't walk around talking bad about angels. Okay, all right, I got that one down. I mean, of all the sins, that's the one I've never been concerned with, right? I mean, I speak bad about... Just every day I wake up like, I'm going to say some bad things about angels. I don't think I've ever had a struggle with it, okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's not one of those, like, top ten things to be on the lookout for. But talking evil about people, I mean... Maybe once in my life. Maybe. Probably about three or four minutes. And probably Stacy led me to do it, right? Because I, it, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. I mean, okay, obviously, we can all relate to that one, yes? All right, so, now here's the question. If you're to summarize verse 8, like if I was to make, and I, I love doing this in, in Bible study, when I do this for the Bible study exercises, I always have the people do this on, online. Is I would say summarize this verse in one sentence. How would you summarize this description of these individuals in one sentence? What would you put it this way? If you can't give me the sentence, what would you emphasize in, in your sentence? What would you emphasize in your sentence to describe these people? Okay, someone said deceivers. Okay. I, I think I, I would go this. Fleshly, rebellious, but believe God is on their side. Isn't that the whole point here? The fleshly dreamer sets it all up, Right? They believe it's divinely inspired dream. So they're fleshly. We know they're fleshly. It says it, right? They defile the flesh and they're filthy dreamers, all emphasizing the flesh part. The rebellion part, do you not see that in the verses? You've got two, two descriptions to describe the rebellion part. What are the two rebellion parts? Despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. So we got the fleshly, we got the rebellion. But what's the key element that we have to understand here? They believe it's from God. They believe everything they're doing is on God's side. They're rebellious and fleshly, but it's a God-justified rebellion and fleshliness. It's a God-justified one. Trying to contend with that is very difficult, is it not? So here is the formula I want you to think about this, this morning. In everyone's Christian life, you really have two sources of authority. And what are those two sources of authority in everyone's Christian life? Self or God. Now, these people are genius because they have God justifying their own fleshly authority. But But these are the two that we have to choose from, right? Now, the rest of this morning is going to seem tedious, but it's important, all right? Now, I could just leave it here because I've covered the verse, and most preachers would just move on quickly, but I'm not going to do that. So are you ready? Let's consider the subject of authority. I'm going to still try to end by 12 because I promised you. All right? Here we go. I'm going to give you scriptures. You're going to, cl- you're going to group these scriptures together in a classification. I'm not going to give you the classification first. All right? Everybody ready? Go to Genesis 1.1. You should be able to quote it, but Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, 
God created heavens and the earth. And you know my feelings about Genesis 1-1, the most complicated, troublesome verse in the entire Bible, okay? I'll never figure out Genesis 1-1 as long as I live. That verse is so broken, it's not even funny. Okay, but Genesis 1-1. Okay, well, I won't tell you anything else. Genesis 1-1. Just look at it carefully. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Okay, everybody got that? All right, go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Just see if you see a theme emerging. Exodus chapter 20. First two words. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord that God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then the next four words. Thou shalt have no. He begins to establish what? Rules, laws, okay? All right, next verse. Go to Psalm 115.3. Psalm 115.3. Psalm 115.3. What do you see there? I'll read it. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Another massively troubling verse if you're in a philosophy class in a university, but we won't go into all of that, okay? How about 2 Chronicles chapter 20? 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. And said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I hope you're seeing a theme emerge here. Romans chapter 9. We'll start in verse 18, speaking of God. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou will say unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Now, let's just stop right here. What are all these verses? If we were to group them together, what title would we give these verses? Okay. You can, okay. You're all going the right direction. God's authority. God's authority. God's authority. That sounds good, doesn't it? Now, I ask you, does that fact of God's authority fix the problem with these people that Jude is dealing with and contending for the faith? Does it fix it in any way, shape, or form? In other words, you have them all in the Sunday school classroom, right? Here's all the people, right? They're the filthy dreamers. 
Right? They're the ones who defile the flesh. They're the ones who uh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. They're all right there. You get a chance to teach them. And you start off and you teach them all about God's authority. Is it going to fix the problem? Why do you think it won't fix this problem? Because they believe they're, that what they're doing is based on God's authority. So this would actually do what? Make them feel even more justified because they have God's authority doing what? That's troubling. But what I want you to realize is that, that we have to at least write this down, God's authority. We have, to at least, we have to at least understand God is in control. What's troublesome is that the church is great at saying God is in control, God is, has authority. We're, we're, we're great at that. But what we're so bad at is that we take God's authority and use it to justify our thinking, our wants, our desires, and our actions, claiming that it comes from God. Everyone here, we're all guilty of doing that. We can take God's authority, justify ourselves by it. So that becomes a major problem, yes? All right? It's always weird when you're looking out there and you're like, what is going on in our parking lot? I don't know what that car was doing, but I'm like, okay. I'm like, are they coming in? Are they going out? What are they doing? I don't know. Okay. But all right. I'm trying not to get distracted, but I'm like, what is going on out there? Okay. All right. Here we go. So now let's go to, so we got all of those, right? So we have all of those scriptures give you the authority of God. Everybody got that? All right. Go to the next one. Oh boy. I don't even like quoting this verse anymore. Go to Romans chapter 13. Oh. Never knew I would hate a verse in Romans so much. Okay. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. This verse was not even controversial for a good portion of the evangelical world until COVID hit. All right, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that, are, that be are ordained of God. Now, it'd be one thing if that's the only verse we had, but we got Romans 13, 1. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14. Everybody ready? What does it say? Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Right? Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. What do we have here? Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, and to speak evil of no man, and to be not brawlers. All right? Now, take those verses. What would you group these verses as? We got God's authority. What would we group these verses as? Man's authority? Unless, can we, would everyone be okay if we call this governmental authority? Because it seems to be specifically relating to governmental authority. There's governmental authority. God's authority, governmental authority. 
Right? Now let's go with the governmental authority concept and let's play this out in light of Jude. And Jude, what's the problem? You got people who are filthy dreamers, who defile the flesh, who despise dominion and speak evil of dignities, but they claim that what they're doing is all what? From God. Now, I don't know if you've ever witnessed this in the history of, I don't know, the world, but guess what? Uh, what, do pe- what do governmental authorities love to do and nations love to do? That God... On our side! Right? Everyone claims God is on their side. If a nation goes to war, who's supporting that war? God. If a nation takes over another land and takes those people? God. If you you get in a ship and come to a land that's not yours and you take it? God. If If you prosper? God. I mean, basically anything. Everyone does this. Everyone, right? Every political party utilizes God to justify their platform and their actions. Rarely, especially in America, you don't get a politician going, look, I don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. Here's my policy. I don't care about God. No, no, you don't get that in America. They may be like, but they bring in a little bit of God and then everybody's like, oh, see, God's on their side. That's governmental authority. So in other words, what's the danger here? No, the danger, and and just follow me with the Jude concept, that government could use God to do something that's actually opposed to God, just like those in Jude are using God to do that which is in opposition to God. And we could use God as justification to do what? To speak, to reject the dominion of the governmental authority. In other words, everyone does what? Everyone uses God. If we're honest, oh, this is not going to make anyone happy, but this is true. For many, including people in this room, including me, God is a means to an end. God is a means to an end. That's, that, does that not scare you that we have the capability of doing that? We will use God to justify it. We will use God to justify our parental decisions. We will use God to, to defend our job decisions, our marriage decisions. We will use God for everything. Sometimes God is nothing more than a tool in a toolbox. And we're like, okay, what do I need? I need some God. Okay, grab some God. Okay, what I'm doing is right. It's justified. You can't condemn me. That's the whole problem in Jude. Does everyone understand? These are the people they have to contend with. Filthy dreamers, but they believe it's from God. They can do whatever they want. And I can establish to you these realms of authority. What's the first realm of authority? God. They're using God's authority. Then we got governmental authority. The Bible does say that governmental authority comes from whom? So that government could use God as an exercise of said authority in a way that actually is opposed to God. And then we could come along and use God to support what? Our rebellion against said authority. Did we not see this all play out during COVID? 
Let's go to the third one. Oh, boy, no one likes the next one. Oh, boy, I don't even like the next one. Everybody ready? Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. I apologize to all the children and teenagers. Okay. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Someone tell me what it says. Honor thy father and mother. Okay. All right. Everybody knows that verse, right? Okay. Why? What did you say? Right. In other words, there's a blessing attached to said uh, oh, uh, honor. Okay. Honor of mother and father. Okay. All right. Next. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Go there. All right. Now I think, uh, who am I getting ready to, to apologize for this one? Who, who, who do I have to apologize for this one? Still the children, right? Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, nobody, does anybody love this one? No, okay, probably not. Now we, we all, some of us love the next one. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Okay, what does this establish? Authority in the home. All right. We have, we have God's authority, governmental authority, and we'll refer to this as, can we call it domestic authority? Does that work? Do you like that? Does that work? If you don't like it, if you've got a better one, I'm willing to hear your suggestions. Authority within the home, right? We'll call it domestic authority. Now, what happens in domestic authority? Okay. okay, first and foremost, remember, I'm connecting this back to Jude, right? right? Remember, they're filthy dreamers. If we believe that, and we, and the only thing that makes sense in the context of Jude is they, are, no, they believe this is coming from God, which justifies all of their actions, right? If, if they were rejecting God outright, then nobody, I mean, it would be obvious in the church, but they've crept in unawares because they're like, we believe in God and God is on our side and God's telling us what to do. All right, so how does, how does the abuse, so in a roundabout way, they're using God for their own fleshly means. Can, gover, can government use God's authority for fleshly means? Can we use God's authority for fleshly means against government? Yes. Now, when it comes to the home, oh man, Christians, we're supposed to have it all figured out, right? Because we've got God on our side, so Christian homes are supposed to be perfect, right? Okay, it never works that way. Because guess what happens in Christian homes? We use God. Now, how could a young person use God? They could try to use God as a justification for not listening to the authority, just like we use God to not listen to governmental authority. Correct? Can parents use God in the way they go after the children and using God as a justification for what they're doing when in reality it may have nothing to do with God. It may have something to do. And I know parents are are not going to like this, but a lot of times parents' decisions are more based off their own fleshly preferences and it has nothing to do with God. Now it's one thing to just acknowledge, hey, that's just the way it is because that's the way 
I think. But when you try to use God as it, that can become very problematic when it's not God. Does that make sense? Yes? Parents can do it. Kids can try to use God as justification. Oh, does, how does it work with God and husbands and wives? Oh, man, you can, you can you not see this one's loaded with problems? Right? The guy can be a complete jerk and claim what? Cement, woman! God's on my side! <laughs> so, so, but the wife could probably try to use something with God to justify her not submitting. Right? Yeah, see, there you go, Robert. Just like, that's what Janice does, okay? As unto the Lord, right? But I'm just saying, we, right, right. We'll all find, we all find a way to use it for our advantage. So that we've got the authority, but the authority can all be used because where's the authority derived from? Remember what's the first one we started with? God's authority. He's creator. He's God, right? So everybody wants a piece of that authority. Because if I can get that authority, what can I get? All the justification I need. So this shows up in the home. Oh, wait, there's more. There's more. Oh, I got two minutes. I can't get to the more. So I can't get to the more. All right, so let's let's just stop here then. I don't want to, but I made a promise. All right, so... What can we conclude from all of this? We, do we understand the teachers in Jude? And, and me, me, I, in the last hour I said this. I believe it's a historical, accurate account. But it's an allegory of something that we contend with. As they were contending with the false teachers, that the, what those false teachers are is a picture of us contending with ourselves. We're the false teachers. We're fleshly. But we claim somehow that God is on the side of our fleshly desire. We indulge the flesh, claiming that what we're doing is actually something spiritual. And we have a tendency to despise anyone who tells us we can't do it. And we speak evil of a whole lot of people. And you can't contend with them until you have first contended with you. You're the false teachers. Just like I am. And, and, when, and so you think, how am I going to contend with them? You think the first way to say, guys, you're not in charge. God is. But they would be like, we know God is on our side. So I want you to see all these realms of authority. We see God's authority, yes? And we see governmental authority. Governments use God's authority to justify their ungodly actions. And we use God's, God's authority to justify our rebellion against that governmental authority. Yes? And then the next level area of authority? We, we looked at government. And then, what's after government? Domestic authority. And the same drama plays itself out. Because we see God, and this is the danger, and I just want you to, I'll I'll leave you with this. I want you to just consider all the different ways in your Christian life you probably have used God as a means to your end instead of submitting to God. And it's a fine line. Oh, I'm following God. No, we grab God and use God. 
And God is not for us to use. Does that make sense? I'll just leave it there. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Not even going to pretend this is an easy truth. It's a difficult truth for every one of us. It's easy when we leave here to forget this, but I hope we'll talk about it, think about it, so that it will possibly have some profound impact on us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...